Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. The Advent reading for today, the angel appears and says, do not be afraid. I bring you great news of joy for all people today in the town of David. A Savior is born to you. He's Christ the Lord. In the birth of Christ, there's this absolute new beginning. This chapter starts, this new moment of time, but it's not the first chapter, and it's not the last chapter. It's a pivot point in world history that does change everything, but there's so much that comes before the birth of Christ And there's so much that happens after the birth of Christ. And sort of seeing the big picture, the whole story, is what puts in perspective the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so as a church family, what we've been doing this past year is working our way through the entire Bible. We started in January in the first chapters of the Bible, looking at how everything started. And today, actually, we're going to start looking at the last chapters of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and tying it all together, there's this one story that's taking place the entire time through all the different chapters and moments. It's this message that God made us, that he loves us, that he knows that we're flawed, but he loves us so much that he can't just look the other way at our mistakes, but instead sends his son to redeem us to bring us back into a relationship with him so that we could be with him forever. It's the story of every page of the Bible. So as we've worked our way through this sermon series, kind of want to review with you. We started back in Genesis in a sermon series called And So It Begins, Genesis through Deuteronomy, where we looked at the beginning of everything, the beginning of the world, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin, the beginning of redemption. We looked at how everything begins And then we made our way into a series called Longing to be Led, the books of the Bible from Joshua to Kings, and how as each of us as humans, we find ourselves wandering away from light and wandering into darkness, wandering away from God and wanting to be led by God. And so we looked at how God always has a way of leading us back to things that are light and good. Then we talked about the prophets in a series called He Has Spoken, that God has this way of speaking both warning and comfort to his children, and he uses his word to do that. Then we found ourselves in a series called Living Wisdom, where we looked at the Proverbs and the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, all these different practical ways that God says, hey, if you want to live wisely, here's how you do it. Let me instruct you. Let me guide you into wisdom, which led us to the New Testament in a series called Unexpected Kingdom, where Jesus shows up on planet Earth in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Acts, we see the church starts. And it's this unexpected king who shows up in an unexpected way and brings an unexpected people into his kingdom to do unexpected things through love. The unexpected kingdom followed by letters of faith, the New Testament letters that are written to us by the apostles that we might know as sons and daughters of the king how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have in Jesus Christ, which gets us to the end 
in a series in the book of Revelation called Peace on Earth. That just like Jesus came the first time in an unexpected way, he is going to come a second time in an unexpected way. And when he does, he is going to bring total peace on earth in every corner. And so the message of this series is that God loves us from beginning and end of the Bible, that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that he sends Jesus into the world, yes, as a baby who becomes a king who's going to make all things right now and will make all things right in the future. And we have a choice when we hear these accounts of the Bible, what to do and how to act. And he invites us to trust him and to follow him. So today, we're jumping into the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible, turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter one, verse one through 20 today. And as you get there, turn on electronic copy, follow along online or in the chapel, wherever you are. Happy that you're here. As you get there, just want to give you a quick update as a church family. Uh, we're getting to the end of the calendar year, and as a church, we're behind financially in our budgets, so appreciate your giving and super grateful for that. Also want to point you to the fact that coming up on the 23rd and the 24th, we're going to share with you a special way that you can serve people in our community that are struggling. So at our Christmas services, we're going to be sharing that. So keep your eyes out for a way you could serve other people through your giving. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for the opportunity to be together. Thank you that you're writing a story that's bigger than any of our stories. That you invite us into your story and you're doing something. You've done things in the past. You're doing things in the present. You will do things in the future. We are meaningful in your story. But it's hard sometimes for us to see that there is a bigger reality, a wider reality story going on all around us, and you are the author of that story, of our lives, and you have plans and purposes for us in the days ahead. So humbly, we want to follow you today and listen to you and learn from you. So please use these moments to challenge and encourage us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, when it comes to the book of Revelation, there's lots of thoughts on this book, right? There's some people, when you hear the book of Revelation, there's people that get super excited, right? Because they love talking about the end of the world and the Antichrist, and they get all jazzed up. There's some of you out there that get super excited about Revelation, and then there's the rest of us that are like, this is just weird, right? This book is just weird, it's odd, it's confusing, it's scary, and we kind of go, I'll read the whole Bible, but I'm going to stop there and kind of put it away, because it's just... Ah, two different types of people, people that are fixated on cracking the revelation code and mapping out exactly how everything's going to happen in the days ahead, and then the rest of us who just avoid it and are scared and confused by it. But that's not the purpose, right? The purpose of this actually is written right into the first lines that the Bible says that we are to be blessed for listening and learning and looking at this together, that there is blessing that would come as we read and learn this. So let me kind of show you where some of the confusion starts. First four words in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, it says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. And that word revelation in the Greek is apocalypse. Now, when you hear the word apocalypse, do you get warm and fuzzy feelings? 
It's like, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, right? It's like, it's a weird word because in our modern times, it just symbolizes cosmic war, right? And battles and all these kind of strange things. And there are some of those things in this book, but it's not the point of the book. The word apocalypse means revelation. It means disclosure. It means unveiling. The point of this book is to pull back the curtain of heaven and show us a glimpse of the risen Christ, what he's doing now and what he will do in the future. It is not intended to scare us or to weird us out. A few other things that are helpful, that this apocalyptic writing is a part of a literary genre in the Bible and in the ancient world, that apocalyptic writing is a type of literary feature. And also throughout the book of the Revelation, it it says this is a prophecy. Prophecy is also a particular type of literary writing that has certain things that are connected with it. Apocalyptic prophetic literature uses vivid imagery to describe God's character and future plan. So it's a feature of the author from the ancient world using to give language to things they don't understand. They're trying with a literary feature to describe the indescribable. They're trying in ancient language, this is written hundreds of years ago, trying with ancient language to capture things that are happening in the infinite and bring it into the finite. They're pulling back the layers of heaven for us to see things and using this vivid imagery and language to capture for us things that are indescribable, that are heavenly. It's a tool used by writers. And it's to show us who the true God is, that he sits above time and space, that he has a plan for this world and he's gonna come again to bring peace on earth. So it's understanding this literary feature and not getting weirded out by it. And one last thing before we actually jump into the text. It's commonly understood that John, the Apostle John, is the author of this book and John's Jesus' closest earthly friend. He wrote this in 90, 95 AD, some 60 years after Jesus rose again from the dead. So 60 years after Jesus' life, this guy, John, writes these things down. And this guy's life is hard. It's been hard for 60 years. He's suffered for 60 years. This guy, John, has watched all his friends die a martyr's death because of the faith in Jesus Christ. And he's the last man standing. And now, not only is he the last man standing, he is exiled The government has put him away on an island by himself because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is really important to realize that the Roman government at that time, the emperor says, you will worship me or you will be exiled, you'll be persecuted, you'll be beaten, you'll be killed. He tells all Christians, imagine a government edict that would come down to us now that unless you worship our government officials, you're a follower of Christ. If you don't say no to that and renounce that, you're going to be killed, beaten, or exiled to an island. You might go, I'd like to go on an island right now. (laughs) But imagine that. And so John is writing Revelation as someone who is suffering. And he's writing to people who are suffering to encourage them to stay the course in following Jesus. 
And so keeping that in the back of your mind helps you to understand Revelation. Here we go, verse one. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John is encouraging his followers to read and take this book in, and that the promises you be blessed if you would do that. It's not to fixate it. It's not to crack a code. It's to be blessed as you read and learn. And do you notice that John references time? He says in these verses, these things will soon take place. Remember, John's writing this 2,000 years ago. He says, these things soon will take place. The time is near. Are you tracking this? Can you imagine if somebody said, the time is near for us to eat dinner, and then 2,000 years go by? I got a problem with John's sense of time, right? The time is near? Really, John, the time is near. What's going on here? And this is what the Bible teaches, 2 Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years are like a day. God is outside of time and space, and he's describing things, pulling back the layers so that we could see what's going on and what is taking place today what is going to take place in the future, a day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like a day. But the things that John describes are nearer today than they were yesterday. And why does God wait? Peter continues, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't God initiated the things that John describes in this book now? Because he's patient with us and all of humanity and wants all of humanity to repent and trust in him. And so John is less concerned about when things take place. He's less concerned about how things take place. Instead, he wants us to know who's in the driving seat of all of human history. Verse four, he's gonna to refer to seven churches and seven places that are described in the Old Testament. You know, throughout the book of Revelation, one guy describes it as like, there's all these references to Old Testament things that are like hyperlinks. If you clicked on them, it would drive you back to other parts of the Bible to tie this whole story together from beginning to end. So he writes in verse four, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, connecting us to the entire Bible, he says, grace and peace to you from him, who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even though who, those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty to these seven churches who are struggling, literally being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. 
He's talking to them to bring them courage. He's saying, this is the guy, Jesus, who bled to pay for your sins. This is the guy, Jesus, who adopted you into a priesthood, a kingdom to advance and give you a purpose and love. This Jesus is coming soon. There's a day coming, verse seven, where just like Jesus left, he will return and make all things right. He's trying to encourage these believers. And he's using language in here It's so cool to see. He says, the first time Jesus came, he was lowly and gentle, and people didn't recognize his glory, but the next time he comes, every eye will see him. The first time Jesus came, he spoke in whispers and in parables, and only the humble and the hungry listened to him, but the second time he comes, he will have the attention of the entire human race. The first time he came, people killed him for his message. And those people, when he comes a second time, will mourn because they'll realize what they did to the Holy One of God. He's encouraging these believers that God sees their suffering. He's encouraging them that God is not absent. He's not neutered. He's not lost. He's not asleep. He's not deaf. He is present and active. He is none other than the Lord Almighty. Do you see that phrase at the end of verse 8? The Almighty, underline that. Verse eight, the Almighty. It's used nine times in the book of Revelation. The Almighty means the one no one can resist. I mean, think of that. Think of if you're going through persecution and hardship and suffering and doubt to be reminded that the Lord Almighty sees you and sees the circumstances of your life The one no one can resist knows you. He's not asleep. And right now, there are plenty of people that are ignoring him, plenty of people that hate God, people that are trying to silence God. But the Lord Almighty is present. And there's coming a day where no one will resist God's love, no one will resist God's power, no one will resist his majesty or his justice. The one who is almighty that no one can resist is coming, John says. And the time is near and every eye will see his love, his power, his justice. Verse nine, John slows down and describes how this whole book of Revelation came to be. He writes, I, John, your brother and your companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos exiled there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, those seven churches that are being persecuted, that are suffering, that are struggling. Write them this message to encourage them. Now, if you're sitting all alone on an island and you hear someone's voice, right? It's kind of weird, right? You're like, what's going on? If I was alone on an island, which would be great to be alone on an island right now, um, and I heard a loud voice, I would be shocked, I'd be startled, I'd be curious, I'd wanna know what's going on. John's just like you and me. Verse 12, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, 
dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. John is describing the indescribable. He's trying to put language to this moment where the curtain is pulled back and he gets a glimpse of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he was fully God and he wrapped himself in the clothes of a baby, right? He wrapped his divinity in humanity. He shows up as a baby. And when he walked on planet Earth, he was wrapped in the clothes of a Jewish carpenter. When he went to the cross, he was wrapped in the clothes of a Jewish rabbi. When he went to the cross, he was an accused, unjustly accused criminal, wrapped in the clothes of a human. And after his resurrection, he proves that he is God. He kind of unveils through his resurrection that he is God. And now he's pulling back his humanity and showing John his full divinity. And John is trying to wrap his mind around all that Christ is, his full divinity. He remains fully God, fully man, and he's using this vivid imagery to capture the majesty and the power of Jesus. And John's taking all this in, the vision of this full divinity of Christ, and in this moment, his body has immediate response. When I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as though dead. Like there's something in this moment, the power, the majesty, the glory, the goodness, the beauty, the justice, that on display in front of John, it just causes his body to have an immediate reaction. It falls on the ground. Because it's that great, that beautiful, that glorious, shock and awe knocks him over, and watch what Jesus does next. I mean, it's incredible. When I saw him, John said, in his full divinity, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I mean, the full divinity of Christ. He sees it totally crystal clear how incredibly great and loving and powerful and majestic, King of kings and Lord of lords. It scares the out of him and he falls on the ground and Jesus touches him. And with gentleness says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. I mean, this is fantastic. John has spent three and a half years with Jesus. When he was a young man, he hung out with Jesus of Nazareth. He saw it all and it radically changed him. And he spent the last 60 years of his life trusting Jesus by faith. He's watched all his friends killed for their faith. Now he's exiled because of his faith. And in this moment, God says, John, I want to show you. You've been walking by faith for 60 years. But I want to show you the majestic Christ. And it knocks John down. And Jesus says to his friend, do not be afraid. And John's heard that so many times from Jesus when they walked on planet Earth together. 
this phrase that he said regularly to disciples to remind John, yes, I am majestic. Yes, I am powerful. I am king of kings, lord of lords. I am perfect and holy, but I am also the same one who was a gentle baby. I'm also the same one who was a Jewish carpenter. I'm also the same one that allowed them to falsely accuse me and nail me. I'm the same one who rose again. I'm the same one who ascended. I am king of kings and lord of lords, but you don't have to be afraid of me. Don't be afraid. And it's in these moments that you realize how incredibly encouraging Jesus is to a group of people who are suffering that are overwhelmed by persecution and heartache and confusion and doubt. He's like, let me give you a glimpse of myself, John. Let me clarify you for you my resume so you don't miss it. He says a number of things. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Everyone and everything has had a beginning and an end. But Jesus says, not me. I was there before the beginning and I will be there After the end, everything has a beginning. Jesus is before. Everything has an end. He will be here after. He says to his friend, John, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then he says, don't be afraid. I am the living one. John saw Jesus die, right? He was right there to watch him at the foot of the cross. He watched his cold, dead body be put into a tomb. John was also there the day he rose again from the dead and had the opportunity to touch Jesus and eat with Jesus and laugh with Jesus and walk with Jesus. He watched with his own eyes as Jesus ascended back to God the Father. And Jesus is saying to him, man, life is hard, John, but I'm alive. For the last 60 years, you followed me by faith, but I just want you to know I'm still here. I'm just as alive as when I left. I am the living one. Don't be afraid. John, don't be afraid. I hold the keys to death and Hades. I mean, think of how many horrible deaths we all experience on planet Earth. The death of animals and the death of plants and the death of dreams, the death of hopes, the death of loved ones, that everything on this planet is destined to die. None of us get out alive. We are all going to die. And John is sitting there on an island waiting to die. His friends have all died. And he's scared. They're persecuting Christians. They're killing people. They're wondering when I'm going to die. And now Jesus says, now, John, I hold the keys of death firmly in my hands. Nothing outside of my sovereignty occurs on this planet. All the suffering And all the joy, all the light, and all the darkness, all the good days, and all the bad days pass through the hands of Almighty God, who loves us so much to give us choices, and we make a mess of everything. But it all passes through his loving, sovereign hands, and he says, I hold the keys of death. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. Nothing will happen to you outside of my sovereign control. And he goes on to say, I hold the keys of life, or to death, and Hades, which is a reference to what the Bible calls a second death. So all of us are destined to die once and then face judgment. Depending on what we say about Jesus, we'll either spend life with God or life apart from God. The second death in the Bible is the judgment that you rejected Jesus on earth 
Now you get what you wanted for eternity, a second death apart from God forever. And Jesus says, I hold the keys to that second death because I paid for your sins on the cross. I died and rose again to grant you life eternal so that you don't have to be apart from God. I paid for you. I hold this key that will unlock your future, your eternity. Do you want what I have to offer you? He doesn't push it on us. He says, I got the keys to life and eternal life with God or apart from God. In some ways, it's Jesus's way of saying to John, you know the hell you've all created on this planet? I've got the keys to it. Do you want to stay there? The mess that we all create, the hell that we make of our lives and our families and of this planet. He's like, I've got the keys. Jesus says, I've got the keys to all of that. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust me, follow me, live with me, talk with me. I'll walk with you. But if you reject it, then you'll get what you want. You didn't want me on planet Earth. Now you'll get what you wanted in eternity. He doesn't say that with joy. He's inviting us. I've got the keys in my hand. It's like a friend saying, I got the keys to that. You need help? The hell that you create? The hell that's your destiny? You, you want out of this? Jesus is like, I, I got the keys. Let me help you. Isn't this encouraging? You're like, well, I don't know. It is encouraging. It's not meant to scare us. It's not meant to confuse us. Jesus is alive and coming soon. This is the point. Many of us ignore him. I go through seasons and chapters. Maybe you're like me. There's days and weeks I go by without even thinking about God. You're like, you can't. You're, you're a pastor. Like I show up on Sunday and I think about God and I leave. You never do that, do you? I do the same thing. I go through seasons where I'm just on autopilot and I don't think about God. How many of us do the same thing? We do that and then our world around us, how many people are ignoring God or rejecting God or silencing God and saying there is no God? John's writing this to invite us and to encourage us to say, look, he's coming soon. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says, the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty who no one can resist his love and power and his justice and his goodness. And he's inviting us as followers of Christ. If you're suffering today or struggling today, or if you're far from God today, he's inviting you. He's saying that don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I'm the first and the last, Jesus says. I'm the living one. I did this for you. I showed up on planet earth to save you, to rescue you. I hold the keys to the hell you found yourself in and the hell that will be your future without me. I hold it all. Come to me. Come to me. Trust me. Follow me. Put your trust in me. I am coming soon, Jesus says, to make everything right. But the peace that Jesus secures for us in eternity, we don't have to wait for that peace to come. It's coming. The peace of Christ is coming. It's coming. At the time and hour that only God knows, it's coming. But peace comes now as you worship this Jesus, right? Like as a follower of Christ, I don't wait for the return of Christ for there to be peace in my world. I worship this coming Christ now. And in doing that, I experience 
peace. So do you have doubts today? You have doubts? Well, if he's the Alpha and the Omega, do you think he can handle your doubts? Worship him. Run to him. You got anxiety or fear? What do you do? You, you go to the beginning and the end, the Holy One of God, who died and rose again, who was and is and is to come, and you take all of that anxiety and that fear. He's like, don't be afraid. Come to me. And you're struggling with your orientation. You're struggling with your gender. You're struggling with your sexuality. You're struggling. You go to the author and maker of life, and you say, help me. You who are Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, work in me, write in me, guide me, comfort me. There's people in your life that are causing you anxiety. You have family members and friends who are doing stupid things. You're not sure what to do. You run to the one who is to come and say, help me, strengthen me, encourage me, give me peace and hope now and forevermore. Doesn't it feel like good is losing and evil is winning? Well, what do you do as a follower of Christ when everything seems upside down and evil seems to be right and good seems to be wrong and injustice is everywhere and confusion is everywhere? What do you do? You run to the one who was and is and is to come, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the one who is above and over and in and through all things. And he reorients your life and gives you peace. Now. It's not just a future hope. It's now. And so as followers of Christ, if you're missing peace, you run to him now. And I love, I love thinking about Jesus as a baby, right? Because in it, I see gentle Jesus who loves me and understand me. And I love thinking about Jesus as a teenager because he was awkward just like you. And I love thinking of Jesus as a carpenter because he worked with his hands. He gets you. And I love seeing Jesus in ministry where people misunderstand him. And I love looking at Jesus on the cross because I see the cost of my sin working out on the life of the perfect one. And I love seeing Jesus bust out of a grave alive, proving he's God. And I love thinking of him jumping up into heaven. And I love thinking of him sitting at the right hand of God in all his majesty and glory and goodness, saying, I'm coming soon, Joe. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's go. And it's like in all of these glimpses of Jesus, this is what transforms me. He was, and then he showed up, and I can think about him before eternity, and I can think about him when he came to earth, and I can think about him now, and all of that gives me perspective and changes my struggle and doubt. So you're going through chemo right now? You're going through a divorce? You're confused about your gender or your orientation or your sexuality? You're confused about your work life? You're confused and struggling? Stare at the one who is to come and watch it reorder everything in your life. That's peace on earth, goodwill to men and women. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for writing us into your story. No one in this space listening online or here today, or none of us are accidents. You designed us with a purpose and you wrote our story into your story. So, Jesus, help us. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be confused. Help us not to doubt. And when we are afraid, and when we are confused, and when we are doubting, help us run to the immortal, invisible, only wise God who can reorder everything for us. Peace is possible right here, right now, as we worship King Jesus 
who's coming soon. Amen.